Welcome to Renovo Through Time, episode number two, Historical Renovo. and asked, I'm from Renovo, we say with a smile. And then the conversation begins. Imagine, there is this place. It's remote, quiet, almost too quiet for some. Just off Interstate 80, smack dab in the middle of Pennsylvania. The minute you take the off-ramp, you're in it. All around you are mountains carpeted in green in the summer and a blazing array of color in the fall. You're taken in by the coolness of the air feeding out of the hollows of the hills as you travel north along the Bucktail Scenic Byway following the west branch of the Susquehanna River, a once well-worn path traveled by the Delaware and Iroquois, pioneers seeking fortune and families looking to carve out a home in the wilderness. You are minutes away from a small town called Renovo. It is the hub of activity for people living in the villages and small communities that are tucked into the valleys and on the tops of the hills of western Clinton County. Our podcast, Renova Through Time, is about this town, its history, its allure, and its promise as a place to find peace and quiet, adventure, and renewal. We hope you will enjoy listening to our stories as they are read and told by retired teachers like Martha Sykes and Charlie Barnum, local historians Wayne Short and Lou Bernard, and authors Bernie Green and Bees O'Brien. If you are from Renovo, have ever been to the area, have a camp in the area, or live here, You own this. It's your heritage. For those who are so far away that you may never visit in person, but enjoy listening to stories about small towns, history, and folklore, this is yours to own and enjoy as well. Welcome to Renovo, Pennsylvania. This podcast is made possible by a Clinton County Tourism and Recreation Grant. For the latest on our area's culture, events, recreation, places to stay, and dining, check out the Clinton County Visitors Bureau at clintoncountyinfo.com. In each episode, Martha Sykes guides our journey through Renova's historic timeline with readings from books and documents that are in our local libraries and museums. In this episode, Martha introduces us to Miss Margaret Baird, who paints a colorful picture of Renova's early days. Lou Bernard brings to life the county's official monster, the Jawagal that magically appears to haunt farmers on Cading Mountain. 
Here is Martha to read a selection from Margaret Baird's Historical Renovo. The author is the daughter of William Baird, Renova's first settler. The simple and uneventful history of Renova is divided into two epochs, the time preceding the construction of the Philadelphia and Erie Railroad and the time following it. The first being the repetition of the history of all settlements, the clearing and preparing the land, and the latter organization and development of the municipality now known as Renova. During the latter part of the 17th century, the Valley of the Otsunoxen, as the Susquehanna was then called by the Indians, was the hunting ground of the Lenny Lenape Indians, who were subjugated by the Iroquois and derisively known by them women. They gave up their claim to this tract by treaty to William Penn, after which the land could be secured by patent from the state. In 1825, a lone canoeman cautiously pushed his way up the beautiful stream and tying up for the night at the crescent-shaped flat saw the possibility of a fertile farm in the woods about him. Thomas and William Price had already secured the patent rights to this tract and had erected a log cabin on a spot a short distance above the Renova Hotel and cleared a small area. They sold their patent to the canoeman. The household goods were soon transferred from the canoe to the cabin and the work of transforming a wilderness into a town had begun. This canoeman... William Baird was soon followed by others with the purpose of establishing a home in view. Michael Stout and family settled at the mouth of Drury's Run, where the David Stout home now stands. Jonathan Bridges on the William Stout farm, now known as West Renova. Samuel Welsh on the flats at the lower end of town. James Caldwell on the present site of South Renova. A family named Swartz south of the P&E freight station. This location has dwindled into a river beach and a wagon road, but at the time it was a beautiful willow-framed fertile river flat. Washington and Montgomery Drake started a clearing on the north side and erected their cabin near the present site of the home of C.W. Potts. While these families were the first to settle here, they were not the first white visitors to the Indian haunts. A public road had been completed in 1800 by Boone and reached from Olean to Renova. It entered the town near the Cochlin home, and while the purpose of Boone in constructing their, this public highway was to form a connecting link between the eastern settlements and what was then regarded as the far west, the eastern Ohioan plains, the road was used in transferring troops during the War of 1812 and afterwards as a commercial highway. When the river broke, brought its load of commodities to Carney's Eddy, they were carried by wagons over the Boone Road and connecting with the Countersport and Jersey Shore Pike supplied the settlers of northern Pennsylvania and southern New York with the necessities not provided by nature. On their return, these wagons were loaded with iron ore and whatever other product the settlers might have for sale, reloaded on the riverboat at Carney's Eddy and floated down to market. The prairie schooner, too, with its load of fearless homemakers for the West, could have been seen a hundred years ago rolling along over the Boone Road to Carney's Eddy on its way west. 
1860, when the road down Kettle Creek was completed, this road was abandoned, and all that now remains of the old history thoroughfare is a short grass-covered, shaded fragment of it near Tamarack Swamp. The Riverboat The Boone Road cannot be recalled without recalling, too, the riverboat, which for many years was the only means of transferring produce and supplies up and down the stream. The riverboat was a simple, commodious boat fitted with a salt and a tug chain. On coming up the stream, a horse ridden by a boy towed the boat from the shore, while a pilot at its bow kept it in the channel. On reaching Carney's Eddy, it unloaded, waited until the wind blew in the right direction, when it hoisted its sail and scudded down between the willow-bordered banks to Lock Haven. The pilots of these boats were Stone, Drake Brothers, Frank King, Robert McCloskey, Nathan McCloskey, Felix McCloskey, John Baird, Alpheus Caldwell. One of the boys, who for many years sat astride the horse that tugged these riverboats upstream, is now the well-known politician, banker, and businessman of Piedmont, West Virginia, Major General George Curtin, who will in all probability soon fill the gubernatorial race chair of that state with the same ease with which he sat the saddle that tugged the riverboat to Carney's Eddy in the early history of Renova. West Branch Division of the Erie Canal. In 1837, there was every indication that the riverboat would soon be supplanted by a waterway known as the West Branch Division of the Pennsylvania Canal reaching across the state from Erie to Muncie. For a year, the dim of preparation was heard in Renova. Thaddeus Stevens, the well-known politician, undertook to lobby the canal through, and when the financial crisis of 1837 came, took advantage of the necessity of the workmen on the canal and stuffed the Chapman Township ballot box while Joseph Ritter stood as candidate for governor. While Chapman Township, of which Renova was then a part, had but 50 legal voters, 700 votes were polled at Young Woman's Town for Joseph Rittner. The matter was investigated and the returns refused. While this may not have been the cause of the defeat of Ritter for governor, his defeat was the death blow to the proposed waterway down to the West Branch. Martha will continue with Margaret Baird's story shortly. Lou Bernard is a local historian who has spent a lifetime investigating the people, places, creatures, and events that compose the colorful side of our local history. Lou is back to tell us all about the mysterious and menacing Jawagle. The Jawagle is Clinton County's official monster. Back in 2011, I went to the county commissioners and campaigned for the Jawagle to be the official monster of the county. Not that there was a whole lot of competition there. The Jawagle? I've looked into a lot of legends and no area anywhere has anything like this thing. It is sort of a hybrid animal magically conjured or summoned by a witch. These stories go back to at least the 1800s. The Jawagle looked like a werewolf except it had the hands of a bird and the feet of a horse. This was to confuse trackers, so if you found tracks in the woods, you didn't know what you were following. According to the legend, the Jawagle would be conjured up by a witch. Apparently those were plentiful up on Kading Mountain in the 1800s, Civil War era. The witch, if she was offended with one of the local neighbors or farmers, would summon one of these Jawagles, 
send it after him, and the Jawaga would attack and harass the farm until the farmer gave in. These stories often had a hero figure as well. His name was Loop Hill Ike. Loop Hill Ike is always presented in these myths as being kind of a supernatural bounty hunter. And what I love about these stories was Loop Hill Ike used to uh, be portrayed as kind of a mix of magic and hard-headed practicality. Most of the stories involved him casting a spell and conjuring over a fire to try to detect what witch had been responsible for the Jawabble. And then, once he figured that out, grabbing a shotgun and going and burning down her cabin. Now, these stories were told by a woman named Belle Confer to her grandson, George Rome. This was about 1870. I haven't been able to trace it back further, and I don't know if Belle flatly made up the story or heard it and passed it along. But George Rome grew up to write this whole thing up for Keystone Folklore Quarterly. This was a magazine that presented this kind of story back in the 50s and 60s. Rowan wrote it up for the magazine, and that was where I found it about 50 years later in the archives. George Rowan's father, John Rowan, lived up in that area. He is best known for vanishing without a trace in 1899. He was last seen one June day climbing over a fence at the end of his property, and then he disappeared. I can make a good case he had a midlife crisis and took off heading for parts unknown. I can also make a good case that a Jawaggle got him. Can you imagine such a creature roaming the woods on Cading Mountain? Witches, monsters, and our hero, Loop Hill Ike. <laughs> Great story, Lou. The work of constructing the canal had been finished as far as Cading. The year 1837 will be remembered as an active one in the early history of Renova, and all that remains of the public works, as the proposed canal was called by the pioneer, is an occasional gully along the stream, one below the old John Q. Welsh home below Paddy's Run, a piece of rip-wrapping at Dury's Run, a gully or two at Westport. The public works, too, must be remembered as establishing the first city of the dead in this vicinity. About 30 of the workmen who died while the canal was being constructed were buried in that spot, now covered by railroad tracks, about three rods east of the section house. Alec Jackson of Jersey Shore, who was found frozen to death at the Dury's Run Narrows, was also placed with this majority. These workmen were largely from Cork, Ireland, but no doubt some future antiquarian unearthing these bones will label them the remains of those workmen of the West Branch and prove by the peculiar formation of the skulls that Renova had its present greatness to the gray matter once concealed therein. For years, the work of the homesteaders progressed in the strenuous efforts to convert a wilderness into a home and establish a social, religious, and education center at the same time. The business centers at this time were at Young Woman's Town, North Bend, and Dory's Run, where Michael Stout had built a sawmill, store, and home on the present site of the David Stout home. 
The business center for Renova was below Carney's Eddy on what was known as Baird's Bank. The original cabin had been replaced by a commodious farmhouse that stood near the circular flagstone, which covers the primitive well in the grounds of the Renova Hotel. This building was moved after the sale of the farm to 3rd Street and turned into a double dwelling and is now occupied by Dennis May and M. Y. Schuster. Just above the farmhouse stood the first log schoolhouse in which William S. conducted the first school. The first storeroom and post office conducted by Newton V. Z. M. P. Baird also stood near the eddy. Here the rafts of pine lumber coming down the stream to market from the great lumber tract of Clearfield and Clinton counties were snubbed up for the night, and the hungry lumbermen found a welcome in the comfortable home of William P. Baird and his wife Margaret. The writer could not pass over the name of this worthy maternal ancestor and pioneer without paying a tribute to her unselfish devotion to the needs of her day and generation. Her home being located at the natural landing for rafts, she was constantly surrounded by strangers going up and down the branch who were always well cared for by her hospitality. A family of 11 children were fed from the produce of orchard, dairy, and garden that she managed, clothed from the wool that she raised, carded, spun, and made into clothing. As there was no physician for many years nearer than Muncie, she acquainted herself with the medicinal value of herbs and drugs and took the place of a practicing physician and practical nurse, not only for Renova, but the country within a radius of 30 miles. She counted it no hardship to mount her horse after a day's hard toil and ride 20 miles to some sufferer and return the next morning to continue the care of her family. She seldom received pay for her services, but that fact never kept her away from a home that needed her assistance. The 47 Flood The monotony of farm life remained unbroken for 10 years after the abandoning of the canal project, when in 1847 the preliminary survey for the Pennsylvania and Erie Railroad was made. This year is also especially remembered for the flood of 47, which was the highest recorded on a bright October morning in the fall of 47, the water of the river was noticed to become suddenly muddy, and as there had been but little recent rain, the fact was a matter of general comment. In a few hours, the stream had risen so that the immediate flight from the homes was necessary. Jacob Hammersley, wife and daughter, Mrs. Samuel Homan of Farwell, were then living in the Swartz cabin below Dury's Run, and so rapidly had the water risen that they found themselves prisoners in the cabin before they realized their situation. A neighbor hastily constructed a raft of fence rails, and in a short time after they had been rescued, the cabin floated off, lodged in the trees of the old stout orchard, where it remained until it fell into ruins. Other narrow escapes were made. Mrs. Mary Ellen Wells, now of Bradford, the mother of Mrs. Malcolm McCallum, was one of the Stout family who crept from the roof of their log cabin into the second floor of their new home, then being built, then into the mill, and then to the mountain back of Dury's Run, and thus escaped the fury of the rustic area. The valley of the West Branch has since been visited by two floods, one that year and the last on the first day of June, 89, but neither equaled the flood of 47, when the rise of the river at that time was due to a cloudburst further up the stream.
Thank you, Martha. We'd like to thank Tracy Bruno, owner of Endless Mountain Getaway, for sponsoring this podcast. Renovo through time. Need a quiet getaway? Tracy invites you to come enjoy the fresh mountain air. Stargaze in Pennsylvania's dark skies region. Kayak, bike, fish. Hike the donut hole in the Chuck Kuiper trails. And ride your ATV on Pennsylvania's most popular ATV trails. Hop on Route 120 to launch your PA Wilds and Lumber Heritage Region excursions from one of Tracy's fully furnished homes in Renovo, PA. Stop in at the Flaming Foliage Festival Visitor Center just down the street for information about our region's elk herd, wineries, breweries, scenic vistas, restaurants, shopping, and entertainment. Endless Mountain Getaway has two fully furnished homes available with all the essentials. Due to COVID, a 20-point cleaning system assures a safe and comfortable stay. For more information about Endless Mountain Getaway, call 570-490-4104. Tracy has daily, weekly, and monthly rentals. Call today. The Renova area is a gateway to the Appalachian Mountain Range, a plateau with hundreds of hollows and valleys that were carved by runoff from glaciers that cover 30% of northern Pennsylvania. For centuries, it has been the streams and creeks running down the valleys and feeding into the west branch of the Susquehanna River that opened pathways for people to pass through the mountains to explore the beauty and natural resources of Penn's Woods. Within those valleys and along those waterways, we find our heritage, the stories that we share with you in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us next for Episode 3, when Martha reads excerpts from Margaret Baird's Descriptive Renovo and her account of Renova's first big baseball game between the Renova Stars the Renova Baseball Nine, and the Enterprise, and the Athletes of Philadelphia. Lou Bernard introduces us to legendary pioneer and panther hunter Seth Nelson, and Charlie Barnum drops in to talk about Swamp Poodle.